Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of January 20th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We are in chapter 6 this morning as we continue our look through this Gospel, Mark chapter 6. Last week, as we looked at this passage, or we looked at the Mark chapter 6, we saw the, the episode where we talk about where Jesus fed 5,000 men. We know there was, men, there was women and children there as well. We don't know how many, but we know that Jesus Christ fed thousands and thousands of people with five small loaves or pieces of bread and a couple of sardines for all practical purposes. That's what it wouldn't big fish, not that it would have really mattered anyway. That's what Jesus did. And we saw that last week. As we leave off, we are following that up immediately. So we're still on that same day this morning. So this morning, we're the same day we were last week, where Jesus has just fed the 5,000 men and women and children. And later on that day, he has some more stuff that's going on. So we're going to pick right up Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, or spoke with them, and said to them, Take courage, it's I. Do not be afraid. But he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored it to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on, other, on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as he touched, or as many as touched it, were being cured. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage this morning, would we catch a glimpse of, the who, of who you are? May we understand what you're trying to teach us this morning, and may we be molded even more deeply into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we've talked about so often over the last few months, Mark is trying to give us a picture of who this man named Jesus is. Even in his day, everybody had an opinion. Everyone had a thought as to who this Jesus might be. Even the disciples had an idea of who Jesus was. And, and it's kind of interesting. I actually want to begin this, this, this morning with this verse, verse 52, because I think it shapes everything that takes place. If we look at verse 52, it says, The disciples were astonished because they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. Their heart was hardened. I want us to imagine this for a moment. Everything we're about to look at this morning is in the shadow of this truth. That the disciples who had been with Jesus all this time, who had seen Him raise people from the dead, who had seen Him cast out 
countless demons who had seen him heal people, who had already seen him calm at least one storm, and who had just witnessed him feeding thousands of people from a small few pieces of food. These disciples who had seen all of this had not gained any insight from it. They had seen all these things, and they were still ultimately clueless about the true identity of Christ. Now, part of me finds that astonishing. (laughs) Part of me finds it remarkable that they could have witnessed all those things and still find themselves struggling with who Christ genuinely is. And yet, they are. And so let's keep that in mind this morning as we go throughout this passage, as we try to gain some understanding for it. Again, Jesus has just just fed the the 5,000 plus. They've gathered up the leftovers. Each disciple has a basket, if you will, of leftovers. Everyone has eaten until their heart is content. It has been a good meal. But it's time to call it a day. And so Jesus, even before the crowds have dismissed, Jesus tells the disciples, you 12, go ahead and get in a boat and meet me on the other side. You go ahead and go. We think probably a journey of about four miles by water they would have been asked to go. Now, he sends them off. Meanwhile, Jesus goes ahead and dismisses the crowd after he sends the disciples off. And as he dismisses the crowd, he himself goes to the mountain to pray. Now, Mark skips by some details. His his account of this is relatively short. The Apostle John in his gospel gives us a lot more details. If we were to go to the gospel of John in John chapter 6, we would find out that there were many in the crowd that day who had just been fed who recognized Jesus. And they thought, this is someone important. In fact, the, the, the Apostle John, or the Gospel of John says that the men in the crowd were calling Jesus the prophet. And we talked about that last week. The prophet was someone who was supposed to come who was like Moses. He was uh, affiliated with Moses. And, and we saw that there was a prophecy in Deuteronomy that said there will be another prophet come to his people in the, in the same way that Moses did. And so the people recognized Jesus as this prophet. And it says in the Gospel of John that they wanted to take him and to make him king. They wanted to establish him right then and there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee as their next ruler. And they wanted him to lead them, and they were ready to take up arms and go march on Rome and march on Jerusalem. That's, that was their goal. So when Jesus dismisses them in Mark chapter 6, we realize there's a lot going on. It wasn't just Jesus saying, you guys go home. It was Jesus saying, no, I'm not going to be your earthly king just yet. Go home. So Jesus has sent them home, and he goes up to pray. And he's praying throughout the night. So Jesus is, this is all going on here. And remember, Mark's goal is to give us a clear picture as to who Jesus is. And we're going to see two things, because this morning's account of the Sea of Galilee, of Jesus walking on the water, is meant to, by verse 52, helps us understand this, these two events are tied together. The the feeding of the 5,000 out in the middle of nowhere, on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, and the walking on the water are meant to be tied together. And there's two things happening here. 
Now remember, we've already attached Jesus, or Jesus has attached himself to this idea of being the prophet in the vein of Moses. And we think of Moses, and we think of the people of Israel, we probably think of two things more than anything else. We think of the crossing of the Red Sea. When God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery, He delivers them and He walks them through the Red Sea. In our Sunday school class, one we were actually talking about both these things. He crosses through the Red Sea. And not days, I mean not weeks after they've gone through the Red Sea, the people of Israel find themselves out in a wilderness without a lot to eat. And they accuse Moses of bringing them out into the wilderness to starve. Did you rescue us? Did God deliver us from slavery in Egypt? And back in Egypt, we had all kinds of food. You're kind of going, no, you didn't. But we had all kinds of food, they said, in Egypt. Did you bring us out here in the wilderness to starve us? And so even though they weren't trusting God necessarily the way they should have been, God provides for them in the wilderness manna. Bread from heaven. And as we look at these two instances in the Gospel of Mark this morning, we recognize that what did Jesus just provide for these people in the wilderness? Bread. Jesus will go on to say that He is, in fact, the bread from heaven. He is the bread of life. And so Jesus is already attaching Himself not just to this one who would be the prophet like Moses, but He's attaching Himself to the fact that He is the God of Moses. He's not just the one who gives them a meal. He is the bread who provides life. He is the God who sent the manna. And in case they didn't get that, and we know the disciples didn't catch it, it says they gained no insight. Then there's another one. What was the other one that we think of when we think of Moses? We think of the Red Sea, an incident with the water. And so what does Jesus do next? He gives us a miracle on the sea. So let's go back to this. And these two, by the way, these are, these are very clearly to be understood in what's going on here in the Gospel of Mark. So the disciples are going out rowing. We don't know exactly what time it is they left, but they probably left early evening. Maybe somewhere around 5, 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night. They, they left. This is about four miles. It, it shouldn't have taken them that long. But what we realize is that there is a heavy wind. Now, there's, this is not necessarily a life-threatening storm like they had uh, a couple chapters ago where Jesus had to calm the storm, but it is a significant wind. And if you've ever been rowing a boat against the wind, is that hard work? The answer is, yes, it is. <laughs> and so here are these 12 experienced, or at least some of them are very experienced fishermen and sailors, and they find themselves struggling with a, to a great deal Uh, on this boat to row into the wind in fact they're struggling so much that it says that jesus was praying and that he was doing so in the fourth watch of the night that is between 3 a.m and 6 a.m so these guys have been rowing against the wind for somewhere around six to eight hours now if you've been rowing against the wind for six to eight hours are your arms tired Mm -hmm. and if you've been rowing for six or eight hours and you have not gotten to where you're going, and you're out in the middle of that sea, and you see you're a long ways from the shore, what's your attitude? Are you irritated? Are you grumpy? Are you tired? I don't know if they brought that basket. I don't know if they brought all those baskets of fish with them. Maybe they weren't hungry. I don't know. I guarantee you, they weren't in the best of moods. 
And on top of that, maybe they were a little bit afraid, maybe a little frustrated, but I'm, if you're up at 3 a.m. and you've been rolling for eight hours, it's not been a good night. But that's where these guys find themselves. And so the Bible says that Jesus, who is alone on the land, praying, that's where he is. He's not, he's not out there. He's, he's alone on the land, and he's praying that he sees them straining at the oars. By the way, there is nothing happening in your life today that our God does not see. You know, how many times do we think things that we do, the things that we're going through, no one understands, no one sees, it's just us against the world, so to speak, and we don't think anybody else is going to see it. You know, we, sometimes when we were, you may remember when you were a teenager, some of those teenagers, you don't have to remember, you are teenagers, and so you remember or you know what it's like to think. I mean, how many times as a teenager did you think, no one knows what I'm going through? No one understands me. No one gets how it is. Mom and dad, they think they know, but they don't really know what it's like to be a teenager today. Now, teenagers think that today, and guess what? When I was a teenager, you know what I thought? The exact same thing. Now, I'm pretty sure that when my parents were teenagers, they probably thought the exact same thing. But the truth is, sometimes even as adults, we think that, don't we? Even as adults, we think we're all alone. No one sees us. No one knows how bad it is. No one knows my thoughts. No one knows how much I'm struggling. Nobody knows how... Nobody knows the depression I'm dealing with. No one knows how upset or how I don't sleep at night. No one knows how much I worry or obsess over details. No one gets all the stuff I'm going through. We, we can think that whether we're 14 or whether we're 74 or whether we're somewhere in between. We can think that. I want you to know something. The Jesus that we're talking about in the Gospel of Mark is not a Jesus who doesn't know this. He is the same one who from the mountains on the shore sees the disciples in the middle of the sea and sees them struggling. What Mark is telling us in his own way here is that this Jesus who we're reading about in Mark chapter 6 is God. A man, I don't care how good his eyesight is, (laughs) does not see from a mountain north of Galilee into the middle of the sea and recognize a small boat with 12 guys in it and sees what's happening. Only God does that. And what Mark is trying to tell us here in his own way is that this Jesus who just fed the 5,000 in the wilderness with this, with this little bit amount of, of food, this manna from heaven, this food, bread in the wilderness, this is that guy. That man is God and he's in case you don't get it, he sees them from the shore. Jesus is, in fact, God. And he sees them straining. So what does Jesus do? Well, he sees his disciples struggling. He sees them in trouble. So he does what those who love others do. He goes to them. And a little bit of water is not going to get in the way. And by the way, I'll just say this one more time. Not only are you not alone, not only does our God see and understand and know what we're dealing with, there's nothing that we're experiencing that can prevent Him from getting to us. He didn't need a boat. He just looks out there and says, oh, they're having a difficult time. They're in a little bit of trouble out there. They're really tired. I'm going to go 
to them. By the way, is this not what God does for us all the time? The Bible says that we are, as a human race, those who have turned our backs upon God, that we have rebelled against Him, that we are the ones that ran away and hid from Him, that we wronged Him, we rebelled against Him. God didn't wrong us. God didn't sin, if you will, against us. He didn't hurt us. We rebelled against Him. And yet, did He wait for us to say, oh, God, we're, we're so sorry. Did God wait for us to do that? Did God wait for us to repent before He came to us? No, He came to us first. God's a sending, going God. He doesn't wait for us to figure out that we're struggling in the middle of the boat and try to get back to Him. He comes to us. Christ Himself is exactly the personification of this. God did not sit up there in heaven and look at the human race and go, well, when they figure it out, I'll help. God didn't do that. God said, they're helpless without me. I will go to them first. So Christ gets on the, he sees them struggling. He goes to them and a little water is not going to get away. And there's nothing in our lives, by the way, that will prevent God from coming for us. He gets to them. And they saw him. Well, it says, that he, verse 40, he came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass them by. Now, or, pass by, or he intended to pass by them. Now, this is a, a phrase that some people have, have struggled with a little bit. I, I think it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the exact same phrase we rewarded that we see also in the book of Exodus. I think God's given us another tie-in to the Exodus. If you will remember, there was a, a time when Moses, the man that God had chosen to lead the people of Israel, Moses asked to see God's face. And God says, oh, you can't handle that. So God said, what I will do is I will put you in the cleft of this rock over here and I will walk past you. And you will be able to see my, my backside so you won't die. It's the exact same phrasing to walk past. I think what Jesus is trying to do here first is he's walking by the boat in such a way that they will recognize him. He's trying to give them a good view. He's walking, not just directly to them, but he's walking by them in such a way that they will go, oh, look, that's him. He's trying to be recognized. He's parading around in front of them is what he's trying to do. Now, what did they see? Did they recognize him? Now, look at this. They saw him walking on the sea. They supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. If you were to speak ancient Aramaic, which this book is written in, you would find that that idea of cried out it's a very intense word in other words what you had was 12 sailors screaming like little girls that's what you had that that's the idea there they are scared to death they see what they think is a ghost now why would that freak them out so much i mean just just think of the, just think of like a horror movie and you see something that scares you you know some ghost movie or something other that's the idea here now what's going on well there was actually, strangely enough, there was a superstition back in those days. I know, hard to believe, sometimes people are superstitious. I know nobody in here ever is. But, you know, sometimes people are superstitious. 
There was a superstition back in that day that said if you saw what appeared to be a ghost or a spirit or a phantom, if you will, on the water, that was a very specific, if you saw it on the water, that meant you were about to die. It was an omen of death. So here, I think what might be happening is this. They don't recognize Jesus because that's face it, they're probably not really expecting him to walk on the water. And they see him, they think it's a ghost. It's 3.34, in the morning. They're tired. They're frustrated. Their perspectives aren't exactly accurate. And it's the middle of the night. The wind is blowing. The waves are up. They see something on the water. And they think to themselves, it's a ghost. It's a phantom. That means we're all going to die. And they scream. <laughs> they panic. I know none of us ever overreact. They do. They overreact. And so Jesus has to, instead of walking by them to encourage them, he walks by them and it scares the daylights out of them. And so he says something here that for us this morning is incredibly important. Immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. There is this morning something we may not be recognizing in the phrase, it is I. In, in the Greek language, it is the, it's two words. It's the word ego or ego, not ego like the waffles. It's ego, so where we get, so where, where we get the word ego from. Ego, Amy, depending on your pronunciation of Greek. That, that is... It, it's, a, it's a version of the, the verb to be. So if you have the first person ego, I, how does the word to be conjugate after that? I am. In Greek, in your, in your, you, don't have a Greek you probably don't have a Greek translation this morning. In Greek, these are literally the words, take courage, I am. Now, does that name ring a bell? If we haven't already gotten all the connections to Exodus, like, you know, bread in the wilderness. Jesus seeing them from the mountains. When Jesus says, I am, it should ring a bell. And what Mark is doing for us, and more importantly, what Jesus is doing for his disciples is he's letting them know exactly, without a shadow of a doubt, what they should have already recognized, that he is Yahweh, the God of the Exodus. Now, you think it to yourself, perhaps, didn't they kind of already know that? Well, apparently, not completely. I think they may have misunderstood something there. I think they understood that maybe he was sent by God, but maybe they didn't know for sure he was truly God himself. They just weren't quite prepared for that. And that's, let's not be too angry at them. Let's not be too condemning of them. What in their experience would have ever really truly made them think that God in person, would show up in human flesh and talk to them. 
I mean, if someone shows up today and makes that same claim, what's our first thought? Stay away from them. Now, these guys, or his disciples, they obviously didn't think Jesus was crazy or a lunatic, even though you may remember that some of his own family thought that. If you go back a few chapters. But there was nothing in their experience, I think, that really, truly made them think that God himself would show up. After all, we would remember even the second of the Ten Commandments. We have, you know, the, the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the second commandment is to do what? To make no images of that God. Well, why is that uh, there? It's not, you know, they, they sound similar, but they're not. The second commandment doesn't say, Thou shalt have no other gods. It says, Don't make any images of God. Well, the, the idea is this, and we talked about this on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago as we talked about the attributes of God. The idea is this, God is spirit, and he is so utterly different and other than us that to make an image of him, to make a picture, to make a statue, to make something that would represent him, it will automatically be wrong. There's no way that you and I could come up with a picture or an image to represent the God of the universe. And if we try to make an image of it, it'll be false, it'll be a misrepresentation, and it'll be an idol, and it'll be a false god. Even if we have the best of intentions. So the men of Israel have this understanding that God is so utterly different, we won't even try to draw a picture. And he's so utterly different that most of them wouldn't even say the name, I am. We've, we've used the name Yahweh, we use the name I am. They wouldn't even utter it. They wouldn't say it for fear that they would say it wrong and sin against God. So their idea of God is that he's so majestic, so utterly different, so other than they are, that they won't even say his name, and they won't even draw a picture or think of an image in their mind. So you can see how they would never think of the idea that God in flesh would actually show up before them in a person. And yet, Jesus is stating in the Gospel of Mark with all his miracles, and specifically with the feeding of the 5,000, he is saying, I am, I am. And that's a remarkable thing for us this morning. They recognized that God had sent him, but I don't think they fully recognized who he really was. Jesus is not just a mere man. He's not Elijah or John the Baptist. He's not someone simply sent to speak on God's behalf. He is God Himself. And that is what Jesus is trying to make them aware of. We, we spoke a moment ago about how we sometimes can be panicky and overreacting. and We can be struggling and think that we're all alone. One of the powerful things about the name I Am is that there's, it feels like there's a, an open-endedness to that statement. And there's a sense that that statement is, in fact, for us, if you are lonely, he, is, he says, I am with you. If you are powerless, I am your strength. If you are desperate, I am your need. And that name means that whatever you need whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever place you find yourself in, the I am of the universe 
is right there providing you what you need. Because He made you. And He knows your every thought. He knows the hairs on your head. And He does not leave us or abandon us. He sees us even from a distance and He comes to us. This is the God who our Savior Jesus is. They understood that Jesus could perhaps do a miracle and provide food. That he could provide bread. What they didn't understand was that he was the bread of life himself. They understood that Jesus had power. What they didn't understand that was he was power. They understood he was from God. They didn't yet understand he was God. And so as we see this on the water, they find themselves in danger. The real danger they're facing is not a danger from the waves or overexertion of rowing for eight hours. The danger they find themselves in is that God has presented himself to them and they haven't recognized it. That's the danger that they find themselves in overnight. By the way, we might, face, we might face the same danger today. Do you know it's possible for you to be in Sunday school, to come to church, to attend worship services, to even sing songs? Do you know it's possible for us to have in our minds all the right ideas about who Jesus is? It's, it's possible to do good things. It's possible to, to give money to the church or to, to good causes. It's possible to do all the things that we associate with the Christian life and still miss who Christ really is. And of all the dangers we face today, that's the most deadly. To, to come face to face, or at least to have Him, if you will, walk by us, to demonstrate who He is, and for us to not get it. For Him to feed us with the bread and to not get it. By the way, that generation of people that was redeemed and brought out of slavery in Egypt, for whom God initially provided that manna in the wilderness, and who, for whom God took them through the Red Sea, The Bible will later tell us that because of their lack of trust and their lack of faith in the God who delivered them, that not a single one of them, outside of Joshua and Caleb, two men, not a single one of them entered the promised land. Think about that. The walk from Egypt to the promised land takes at most a couple of weeks. And not a single one of the people rescued from Egypt outside of two men, Joshua and Caleb, not a single one of them ever saw the promised land because they did not trust in the God who delivered them. I know it says, it is I. But what he's saying is, I am. He's doing everything he can to let them know 
that not only is he a prophet in the vein of Moses, in the style of Moses, he is Moses' God. He's not just the one who provides bread. He is the bread. He is the God of the burning bush. Jesus is walking on the water to reveal to them that he is God. And this morning as we gather to worship, we don't worship someone who is just simply a good teacher. We don't worship a guy who did lots of really cool miracles. We don't worship a man who changed history. We worship one who was the creator God of the universe who took on flesh. Blows my mind to think about it. Blew their mind too. But that's who he is. And by the way, in case you're wondering about this phrase, am I, am I making it all to be that it actually is? The it is I. In John chapter 18, the Gospel of John, Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane praying with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And as he is praying, Roman soldiers and or, or temple guards and the Jewish religious leaders come forward to arrest him. And Jesus asks them, why are you here? He says, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. The Gospel of John records that Jesus answers and says what our New Testaments will translate it, it is I. You know what it is? Ego Amy. He says, they ask, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and his answer is literally, I am. And John 18, verse 6, upon saying the words, I am, it says that the temple guard and the leaders fell backwards in astonishment. You think, why would they do that? I gotta admit, I don't think I'd ever noticed that till this week. It says they fell backwards. They drew back in stunned silence. Why did they do that? Because the guy they were trying to arrest just said that he was, I am. And they didn't know that. They didn't know how to handle that. They didn't know whether to be angry or terrified. And they just stunned back. Jesus is making who he is very clear. He is the God who made us. He is the God who sees us. He is the God who comes to us. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but the one that we come to worship, the one that we brave the cold for, is the God who made the cold, who has more snow in his storehouses than we can possibly fathom who stores up the clouds and the rain and the lightning and who sees us no matter where we are. That's our God. That is the I Am.